I'm doing something new. You know, I work with a bunch of young people, and they keep trying to make me cool. They got a lot, they got a lot of raw material to work with. So they got me trying this today. I said, I don't use a table. People that use a table give talks. I don't give talks. I preach. But anyway, I'm going to preach from a table. So I said, if y'all going to try to young me up, I'm going to button my top collar and go like I'm back in third grade again. Praise the Lord. I even got today, I've been trying, Ashley's been trying, Ashley's becoming my fashion coordinator. He's been trying to get me to wear ripped jeans. So I, I did, I caught my pocket while ago and I ripped the side of it right there. So I just want y'all to know I finally got some ripped jeans. I'm cool. I was cool before cool was cool. Let me that real quickly. I'm sorry. If you're visiting today, please forgive us. Sometimes we act worse. So we're, we're grateful. I, uh, we're in a series of messages called Critical Mass. And critical mass is when you reach a point where something is built up to the point it explodes and becomes something else. Uh, you could use a term called tipping point. You reach a tipping point where something begins to accelerate. Uh, when a product that goes on the market reaches critical mass, it just begins to go viral. It just sells and goes. I believe there are people in this room that 2019 is going to be your year where you reach critical mass. In other words, God is going to do more for you while you rest than it used to happen when you worked. Because you're going to learn to do it out of a place of presence and out of a place of the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so I just, this, this beginning part of the year, it was just in our hearts that we would help people come to a point of really building, watch this, not prayer as an event, but really a culture of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer. In fact, I want to I wanna really encourage you that, you that in 2019 you up your, your devotion game that your devotion towards the Lord becomes something even more than it has been. How many of you know devotion is not probably something you used in any sentence this week at all? Come on. You probably didn't use that at all. It's, it's, it's somewhat removed from our vocabulary. But the word devotion means, it means this. It means love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a person, place, or cause that directs your life. It's love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a person, place, or cause that directs your life. So when you understand that's what it means, how many of you know everybody in the room has got devotion? There's something you're devoted about. Holler at me. What are some of the things you're devoted about? Huh? Somebody said eating. Well, praise the Lord. Sushi's not on my list, but it is on some. People are some devoted to... So I, one lady in the first service, she said, my man, my man. I'm devoted to my, to my man. What else? Somebody else, holler at me. Huh? Ministry, what? Huh? Thunder. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. As long as Westbrook doesn't take shoot threes in the last two minutes, we'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be devoted. Huh? Here's, what, here's my point. My point is, uh, uh, what about uh, like Sooner football? Yeah, there's some devotion for that. Pretty weak in here today. Uh, OSU Cowboy football. Some, well, I got one man in here. Better be devoted. I'm not sure where he's at. I better hear him. Yeah, he's, he's Mr. Cowboy. And, uh, but here's the point. Uh, Jesus doesn't, doesn't care about you being devoted to things. That doesn't offend God. You know, I, I used to get beat up by preachers who wanted to come after me about everything I was devoted to or loved and passions I had in my life. And I, I realized that you can take the Bible to beat people up with. And God never said that I want you to remove all the other devotions of your life. What he's saying is I want you to let me be the first devotion of I'm not going to have anything before me, above me. I want, I want me to be the first devotion. I want your love, your loyalty, and your enthusiasm to first be about me. 
In fact, Matthew 6.33 says this, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, here's what the Bible says. He says he'll start adding things to your life. How many of you in 2019 are ready for God to add some stuff to you that you don't have to chase? It chases you. Hmm? So I, I wanted to just share with you something. I, don't, I normally hardly ever talk about this when I'm at home. A few people know about this, but when I'm on the road, we have a whole lot of products that we offer and sell uh, to people and to churches. And um, I wanted to give you some tools, make them available to you that can help you in your personal devotional life or in the things that you're believing God for. There's two of them that are prayer CDs. They're called Daybreak, Your Journey in the Secret Place. It's Daybreak 1 and 2. And basically what I do is just give you a track to run on. I help get you going in prayer. I lead you in prayer. There's worship on these. Uh, people that are, that are extremely gifted to lead worship are on here with me. And we pray a while. We worship a while. We pray a while. We make confessions of faith. Believe God for miracles to happen. Um, there's a song on this one, Daybreak 2, that my, a lot of the songs on Daybreak 2 are songs my dad used to sing when I was a boy in church. One of them is called Leave It There, Leave It There, Take Your Burdens to the Lord and Leave It There. If you trust and never doubt, he'll surely bring you out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Is there anybody in the building that you went to prayer and you gave things to God and then when you got done praying, you picked it up and took it with you? Yeah, I think all of us have done that. There's some things you just have to leave there. But these are tools to help you pray. They'll give you a track to run on. There's another one in here. It's called healing. This is all the healing scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. If you need a miracle in your life physically, you need to fill the atmosphere of your home and your daily life with the word of God. The Bible says he sent his word and it healed them. We've, we've had probably 200,000 of these sold worldwide and another 150,000 that's been bootlegged. And, um, and God even used the bootleg copies to heal people. It was amazing, so we give him the glory. But uh, what, we, uh, what we realize is that I have, I have files full of testimonies of people that write back telling us. I shared in the first service, I was in South Africa one day, and a lady walked up to me and she said, I want to thank you for your healing CD. And I said, okay, tell me your story. She said, a year ago, my parents were in church here, and uh, I was laying in a hospital on life support. She said, I was one of 100,000 people on the continent of Africa that die every month from AIDS. She said, I weigh 78 pounds. I had not had my eyes open in, uh, or been, uh, uh, been able to speak to people for 30 days. I had not been conscious at all for eight days. I had not walked in over two and a half months. And I was on a life support system. They had told my parents I was clinically dead. And my folks went to church that morning to worship. And they were coming to the hospital to give the order to cut the machines off. And she said, my, my mom bought this healing CD and said to the doctor, said, do you care if we play this while you cut the machines off? And she said, the doctor said, it doesn't matter to me. It's fine. So she said, my mom and dad played this CD while they unhooked the machines, expected me in an hour or two to be gone. She said, the only problem is they stayed there to midnight and I was still breathing on my own. She said, the next, the next morning, I opened my eyes and she said, by Tuesday at noon, I was up walking. And today, there's no sign of HIV in my body anywhere. Somebody shout the power of his word. And the fourth one here is if you have children or grandchildren, 10 and under or so, this is created for kids. It's for when you put them down at night, when you uh, put them down for a nap, or if you just want them to be still for a little while. There is a children's choir on here. There was a lullaby written for it. It's called Chosen, uh, Destined to Rule the Nations. And I just speak the word over kids. You're born with purpose. You're going to live in purity. You're going to walk in power. God gave you parents on purpose. And uh, we just believe that God's going to minister to their life. And uh, we've had uh, churches buy these literally by 50 at a time to give them away at baby dedication. So daycares buy them. So we're grateful that God's used them. Uh, one guy said to me, he said, Bishop, you should have never made this CD. And I said, why? He said, because there's a generation of kids that grew up listening to you and they go to sleep every time they hear your voice. <laughs> I said, well, that's a blessing. Amen. 
But anyway, how many of you know you can, you can play a lot of things over your kids? You can play VeggieTales over them. They'll be, grow up to be a cucumber. Or you can, you can play the Word of God over them, and they'll, uh, they'll grow up to be a man or woman of God. Here's what I want to say. I just want to make these tools available. We don't do this very often. Normally on the road, they're $15 a piece. But you can buy all four of them today for 25 bucks. I want to give them to this house and bless this house. But I want to give them away to somebody. Come help me, Ashton. Everybody say hello to Ashton. Ashton just graduated from uh, Lee University in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. And Ashton has come to uh, travel with me some with uh, Destiny World and uh, Tony Miller Ministries. So he's going to be, y'all going to see him around here some. So we're glad. His folks are wonderful people. Amen. Give that away to somebody who wants to pray. Come help me. Tony, give this away to somebody who wants to learn how to pray. Somebody believe in God for an incredible miracle in your physical body. The guy right there with a tan sweater. I saw him right there. Pastor David, take that to him right Somebody take that to him right there. I need a parent that wants some blessing over your children. Give that away to somebody. Walk down the center aisle back about three quarters away and give it to somebody, would you? Praise the Lord. Everybody doing good? Just a few minutes, we're going to share the table of the Lord. If you have not received communion when you came in, if you'll lift your hand real quickly, the ushers are coming down the aisles, and they'll be happy to serve you wherever you are. Just keep your hand up till they send it down the aisle to you. And uh, we want everybody to be served so that in just a few minutes, uh, you'll be prepared. Um, they're coming. Just, just hold on for a minute. Can you stand with me and please keep your hand up till, uh, till one of our hosts gets there to you? Uh, just stand, though, everybody all over the building so we will read and begin to move forward. I want to share something today that I believe could be maybe one of the most significant things that uh, I teach. And I teach some part of it almost everywhere I go. Because it was the revelation that changed my life. And I want to talk today about how do we learn how to be confident in front of God. Because how many of you know that church world, church world, we have preached a lot about humility, but we've practiced insecurity. So that when somebody showed up who was confident, we called them arrogant. Because they felt confident in the presence of God. See, there's a lot of people that'll be confident in whatever it is they feel like they do well. Right? If you're a great accountant, you don't get nervous when somebody brings you a new client that's got some complicated issues because you feel good about your craft. Hmm? I mean, if you know, if you're, if you're Kevin Durant or you're, you know, Steph Curry or Westbrook or anybody, you don't feel intimidated to go on a basketball court. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Why? Because you feel good about your craft. You know what you're doing. But here's what happens. I watch people who walk with Jesus for many years come into God's presence like whipped puppies. And it's because we've been taught a religious system that's not in the Bible. And I want to, if you're going to give me permission today, because I, I can only teach this individually to every person in this room, if you give me permission. If you put walls up, this will bounce to the back wall. But if you'll let me today, I want to tear down some things that the enemy has used to keep people from receiving the breakthroughs they've been needing and wanting in their life. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. Hebrews chapter 4, one verse of Scripture. I'm going to read it first from the New King James, and then we'll read it uh, from the Message Bible. It's on the screen behind me. Let us therefore, say it with me out loud, come boldly, say it again. To the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Somebody shout, come boldly. I want to read it to you in the Message Bible. So let's walk right up to him 
and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Hallelujah. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's two things about your devotional life that are strategically important. One is you come regularly. There's some things about God that he wants to talk to you every day about things that are on your heart. You come regularly. But here's the second key, and this is what we're going to talk about today. You come boldly. Boldly. Are we in agreement? Father, thank you today for the ability to preach and teach your word. I ask you over the next few minutes that you'll saturate this room with your presence. As we come to the table of the Lord, let there be deliverance today, breakthroughs from shame, condemnation, guilt, fear, intimidation, insecurities, that we can stand boldly in your presence. I give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. Amen. High five three people and tell them I'm coming boldly. Come on, just tell them. It's very important that we understand the meaning of what the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to portray to the people who receive this letter. I'm going to try to do this fairly quickly. Nobody knows really who the author of the book of Hebrews is. I tend to believe it's Paul, but it doesn't have to be. That's that's not going to make or break the Bible. We just know that it is written to whom it's addressed to. It's written to the Hebrews. It's written to people that were Jewish by nature, but they are now past Calvary, so they're in the New Covenant era. And the whole book of Hebrews basically can be defined in one word. And this word appears over and over and over in the book of Hebrews, and that word is better. Better. It says we have better promises based on a better covenant. We have a better way because he's telling these people who had been locked up in religious ritual, there's a better way for you to have a relationship with God. Somebody say better way. Now, how many of you know Hebrews is not a coffee shop? That is, that is a group of people. Hmm? So he's explaining to them that you need to understand that in this new covenant that you have with God, it's not a repeat of the old system. It's a better way. And when he comes to Hebrews chapter 4, he makes this bold statement. We'll, we'll get the context of this in just a minute in the message. But he makes this incredible statement. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of God. That would have been very, very foreign to the people that received this letter. Because this is the same crowd that when God spoke at the mountain to Moses, they ran and trembled. And they said, we don't want to talk to a God who can shake mountains. See, we, we sing songs, you move mountains, you cause walls to fall. The only problem is when he shakes our mountain, most of us want to hide. And when God showed up on the mountain, when Moses said, God, show us your glory, and the mountain becomes the flame of, of, of his presence, and the mountain quakes, the people said, we don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. We're intimidated by that. But here's what he was saying. He was saying, I want you to learn how to come boldly into the throne of grace. Now, here's what's important to understand. The word boldly there is a Greek word that literally means, in our terms, we would say this. It means to have freedom of speech. Say what's on your mind. Say it frankly. Be forthright. Don't pull in punches. How many of you recognize that God's not intimidated by what you'd say to him? God's never sat on the throne and went, I can't believe he said that. (laughs) And I mean, you know, most of us, when we talk to God, we sort of talk in religious language. We We try to find a way to say very sophisticatedly, I'm ticked. 
I ain't got no help in the building, no honest people anywhere. We sort of say things, oh God, you know that we try to understand the sovereignty and the omniscience of God. What that really means is, I don't get why you're doing what you're doing, and I ain't very happy about it. And what the writer is saying is this, quit beating around the bush, say what you mean. Now you have to understand it was totally foreign to their culture. In the days when the Bible was written, there was not a government that gave them freedom of speech. They lived under the Roman Empire. And anybody that would whisper things or opinions that were contrary to the Roman Empire would be put to death. It's no different than our world today. If you lived in China, you wouldn't be having a conversation with your cousins about things you didn't like going on in the, in the government. Because they got listening devices listening in your house and everybody that doesn't say what the government's saying becomes a suspect of the government. So freedom of speech doesn't exist. Many nations in Africa, you don't speak against a president. He's a dictator. That's how families go missing, disappearing. So he's writing to these people who have never experienced any freedom of speech. And he's telling them God's kingdom is totally different. He invites you to come and say and speak what's on your mind. And when you finish, you're going to be able to find the mercy and the help that you're needing. Am I doing okay? So here's the point. He says, watch this. He says it's important that when you come, you understand you're standing before God when you come. James says it this way. He said the effectual fervent prayer, watch the term, of a righteous man avails much. Somebody say a righteous man. Come on, shout it out, a righteous man. Can I say to you, there are, there are prayers offered every day. There are prayers offered by people who don't have a clue who God is. Because most of our culture treats prayer like a rabbit's foot. Huh? Come on, I've done everything I know. Let's try prayer. Let's pray. Maybe God will help. And then we even have religious systems that teach us that if you didn't say the right words, your prayer didn't get answered. So we learn to memorize certain verses and we pray those, believing that that will give us a step up and that God will automatically do for us. I want to suggest to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that according to the Bible, there are many prayers that people pray that God never listens to. The Bible says that if a man regards iniquity in his heart, God won't hear him. That means if I'm deliberately living with a twisted life and trying to pull the wool over God's eyes, God says, I'm not paying attention. Because you're not coming to me in genuineness. You're coming to me trying to work me. The Bible says his ears will be open and attentive to the prayers of the righteous, but the plea of the wicked he will flee and listen, not, not listen to. In other words, watch this. God is looking for people who understand their standing before him when they come to offer their prayers. What's my standing What's, what's, my, what's my position in God when I come to pray? Because listen to me closely. Most people pray as beggars. You ain't got to help me. I'm doing good today. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm in. My daddy told me when it's real quiet, you're in good areas to hunt. Boom, I'm just I'm going after all kinds of stuff today. How many times have we heard ourselves saying this? God, I'm begging you. I promise you, Jesus, if you'll answer this one prayer, I'll be in church the next three months and never miss a Sunday. And we start working deals. Ain't nobody going to help me, but I'm doing good, huh? Because we believe that what gives us those answers is somehow we, 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 we negotiate our place to get an answer. 
That's not a righteous man. A righteous man has to understand that he has proper standing before God. Listen to me. Two things I want to talk about today. It's going to take me about 20 minutes, and I want you to make sure you get this. First thing is this. If you're going to have an effective prayer life that receives breakthroughs, you're going to have to continually understand your proper identity in the presence of God. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. Put this up for me. He made him. Somebody say him is Jesus. Come on, say him is Jesus. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we, that's us, might become the righteousness of God in him. Now watch this. Jesus had no sin but he became sin. We had no righteousness, but we became righteous. And he was the way that both of those things happened. The only way I could get rid of my sin was for him to take it. And the only way I could get righteousness was for him to give it. Hmm? So the one who knew no sin became sinful for me, or he became sin for me, and I who had no righteousness, nothing I could do would give me a right standing before God. I had no righteousness. In fact, the Bible says that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. In other words, there's nothing I do. I can't jump through enough hoops to give me a right standing before God. Hmm? Everybody shout righteousness. Let me tell you what righteousness is. Righteousness is your right standing before God. Righteousness is your right standing before God. Now listen, somebody said, well, isn't it about what I do? Isn't it about me? You know, I used to cuss. I don't cuss no more. You know, I used to steal. I don't steal no more. I used to smoke. I don't smoke no more. So I should be more confident in prayer. But listen to me closely. Right standing before God will always produce right actions. But don't miss what I'm about to say. But right actions will never produce a right standing. In other words, you can't attend enough church services to get righteous before God. You can't stop doing enough stuff to become righteous before God. You can't start doing enough stuff to become righteous before God. Here's why. Because righteousness is a gift. I grew up in church believing I had to earn righteousness. I had to do everything that the church rules gave me to do in order to give me a right standing before God. So in other words, watch this. What basically we did was this. I need Jesus to get saved and after that, I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. I'll start doing all the right religious things. And then I'll get more and more confident before God. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? How many of you found out that the harder you tried to be righteous, the more you weren't righteous? Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he said, how am I going to be delivered from this body of death that continues to work inside of me and watch this and wants to constantly condemn me because nobody knows me like me. Anybody in the room ever gone to pray and the minute you start praying, you start thinking about what happened last Thursday? You're going, man, I shouldn't have cussed her like that. And you just sort of shut prayer time down. I am really preaching good. And Paul said, who can deliver me from this body of death? And all of a sudden he answers his own question. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Yes, sir. 
Am I doing okay? Watch this. Romans chapter 5. Put this up for me. Romans chapter 5, verse number 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. Listen to me closely. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you didn't have to do anything to be a sinner. Anybody in the room have to be taught to sin? No. If you don't, if you don't believe it's a part of your nature, go stay in the nursery. They keep the nursery today. I realize you think that little thing is an angel, but how many of you know when it gets big enough to tear up what's on your coffee table, you'll find out it'll lie, it'll throw a temper tantrum, it'll be self-centered. Why? Because nobody has to teach you to be a child of disobedience. Why? Because we are that by nature. Listen to me closely. You are a sinner not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Hmm? I am the seed of Adam. So what, that's what, here's what Paul said. Through one man's disobedience, all became children of darkness. So what Adam did affected me. I'm of his, I'm, I'm of his seed. So the Bible's about two men. It's very simple. The Bible's not a complicated book. It's really simple. The Bible is about, come, come here, come quickly. Come, come, come here, Josh. Come here. Come up here. Y'all got to come. Y'all are young. Jump. Stand right over here. Stand right there. Now, when I'm born, I am born into Adam. Guess what? Everything that's true of Adam becomes true of me. Adam was afraid of God. Guess what I become? Oh, if you don't believe it, watch TV. Watch comedians. You better get it. You better watch it. God's going to get you. Hmm? Everything that's true of Adam. What was Adam? He was needy. What am I? I'm needy. Adam was lost. What am I? Lost. Adam lived by the sweat of his brow. What am I doing? I'm trying to work myself into a place of finding a blessing somewhere. Hmm? Because what's true of Adam is true of me. How did that become so? I was born into Adam. That's why when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, I want to find out how to get in that kingdom you're talking about. You're talking about a realm of living. I have no idea how to get there. And all of a sudden, then Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to, I'm going to put you in a place where you and the Father will once again be one. And, and the disciples and Thomas spoke up and he said, we don't know how to get there. I know, I know there's a way to get there, but we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I'm going to be the way. I'm going to be the truth. I'm going to be the life. I'm going to make the way for you. Nicodemus, here's how you get in that kingdom. You have to be born again. And he said, well, I can't enter into the womb of my mother again. Just stay right there. I can't enter into the, my, the, the womb of my mother again. I, what do you mean be born again? And he said, I'm not talking to you about a flesh birth. I'm talking to you about a spirit birth. And all of a sudden, when I'm born again, what am I born into? I'm now born into Christ. Hmm? And if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things are passed away, and everything becomes new. So guess what? When I got born again, what used to be true of me, I ain't lost no more. 
I may be still trying to find my way, but I ain't lost. Because now I got an internal guide inside of me leading me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Guess what? I'm not needy anymore because God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm not pitiful anymore because in Christ, whatever is true of him is true of me. And guess what? If he ain't lost no battles. That's good. Good, Bishop. But here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to be born again into Christ, but living like you're Adam. So God gives you a new house and we keep finding you at your old address. So you're in Christ still trying to work your way into a blessing. Because listen to me, this world right here is built to make you perform to get something. But guess what? You didn't have to do anything to become a sinner. That's good, Bishop. Wow. And you can't do anything to become righteous. Because the Christian life is not about do, it's about done. See, this is what's so amazing. I can be hid in him. You say, well, I ain't very, you, I, I can still see a lot of you. Maybe we should do that the other way. He can be hid. He can be hid in Christ. So guess what? When all hell breaks loose at my house, it's not Tony over in Adam trying to say, man, I gotta work this thing out. It's just me taking my place getting in my right standing in Christ. And when I stand in him, he says, I'll fight your battles. I'll defeat your enemies. I'll break the curse. I'll rebuke the devourer because now you are in Christ. And you don't earn righteousness. You receive it. You say, how did I get saved? You got saved by faith. How did you become righteous? You become righteous by faith. You believe that what Jesus did is enough. I got like four amens. It is But we want to live like it's almost finished. No, 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 no. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, you, you know, I, I did my part. Now you guys do the best you can. You just work at this thing really hard and it's going to work out. No, no, no. He said, it is finished. I've made a better way. And I made this way. Put Hebrews 4 up there, verse 14. Watch this. He said, seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. In other words, watch this. You remember when, when, when Paul, just keep that verse right there for a minute. Remember when Paul said that he's been given a name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, in earth, and under the earth, right, will bow. Here's what this verse is saying. He said, our high priest has passed through every dimension. He's passed through the earth realm. He's passed through where the prince of the power of the air reigns. And he's passed all the way into the heavens where there was an eternal mercy seat that needed the blood sprinkled on it. He said, our high priest has passed through the heavens. In other words, he has the complete total victory for every person for all time. So therefore... 
Let us hold fast to our confession. Somebody shout, my confession. Now watch this, your confession, the word confession, confession, comes from two words. It means to agree with or to say the same thing as. In other words, you got to start saying about you what God says about you. I ain't got no help. I said you got to start saying about you what God says about you. You can't be saying what you feel. You got to be saying what you believe. Well, I'm broke. I feel so broke and poor and run down. No, 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 no. I may have a lack of cash flow, but I am not poor and I am not broke. I am blessed when I come in and I'm blessed when I go out because I have a position and in that position, I am favored. Listen to me closely. You say, but Bishop... Sometimes I don't feel righteous. And? And? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't feel married. Don't take but one trip to the mall to remind me I am. <laughs> By the way, continue to believe with me for my wife. My wife has had walking pneumonia. She's in the third week of antibiotics. We believe for total healing in her body. My feelings, listen to me. God gave you feelings knowing that you would live in them, but watch this, but that you would never be led by them. Because feelings are an incredible indicator of things, but they're a terrible dictator. In other words, your feelings will control your life if you let them. But you have to come back to the reality. Jesus completed it, finished it all, and he has made a way for me into the presence of God. And watch this. When I come into the presence of God, I don't come with my head down. I come with my head up because I am not a beggar. I am not ashamed. I am not condemned. I am a son or daughter of God who is coming to talk to my daddy and I can tell him exactly how I feel. And when I'm finished, I can obtain mercy and I can find help. Somebody ought to thank God. And recognize you come boldly. And you come because you have a proper identity. I belong here. So I want to tell you something. The enemy wants to whip you with a constant reminder of what you lack. Or what you didn't do. He wants to magnify every failure, every disappointment, everything where you disappointed yourself. And when you come into the presence of God, he wants to remind you of that. But I want to tell you who testifies on your behalf. The Bible says there are three things that testify. One of them is the blood. Every time you get in the courtroom of heaven saying, do I belong here or do I not belong here? The blood stands up and takes the witness stand and said, I paid for him. I paid for her. When, that, when the blood gets done testifying, according to the book of John, the water testifies. It said, I saw him where he buried his old man, and that man no longer exists anymore. I testify he belongs in the presence of God. And the Spirit testifies through the Word that you are a child of God. Listen to me. You got more witnesses for you than you got that little voice in your head trying to tell you that you don't belong there. I come to talk to somebody today. You have a right standing before God. Learn how to come boldly. You say, but what if I don't get what I wanted? I can guarantee you something you never will if you don't ask. You don't have a hope of getting it if you never come boldly and ask. Somebody say proper identity. Second thing, and I'm almost finished. We're about to come to the table of the Lord. Come on, worship team. 
is you got to come with a proper focus. A proper focus. In other words, when you come into the presence of God, wrestling against enemies in your life, you have to realize that you will never enter into breakthrough critical mass prayer until you remember who the real enemy is. Who the real enemy is. You need to remember two things about your enemy. Number one, your enemy is not flesh and blood. I just helped somebody. Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Well, that ain't going on in my house. Me and Leroy, we've been fighting for weeks. You're fighting in the wrong arena. You're trying to fight in the hallway. God wants you to fight in the throne room. And you fight in the throne room by remembering people are not my enemy. You say, but you don't know what he did to me. Doesn't matter. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual darkness and rulers in heavenly places. What we have to learn to fight against is the spirit that's controlling the people we're wrestling with. Second thing is this. You need to recognize that your weapons are not earthly. They are divinely powerful. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says this. So though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not earthly. They don't come from man, but they're divinely powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. Everybody shout strongholds. I got to stop here for just one minute. Let me tell you what strongholds are and what they're not. Strongholds are not demons. Strongholds are where demons operate from. Strongholds are where spirits of darkness have a launching pad against your house and against your life. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. World War II, our planes could not reach Japan in World War II. So our U.S. military began to go through a series of islands in the Pacific. And they went all the way to a place called Okinawa. And in Okinawa, they built a base of operation because from Okinawa, we could begin to attack our enemy. Okinawa is what we would call a stronghold. It was a base of operation where forces could go from. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying in your life and my life, you have to recognize that when you're under a spiritual battle, you have to cast down, destroy, annihilate. Watch this. You don't have to just knock out the planes. You got to remove the base of operation. The stronghold that empowers the things that keep in keep attacking you. You say, then what are strongholds? Well, he defines it, the next verse. Casting down imaginations, lofty thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. In other words, listen to me, I'm about to preach. Strongholds are ideology that you hold on to that's contrary to the Bible. Strongholds are cultural preferences that you give more devotion to than you do the principles of God's Word. He said every time you let one of those strongholds in your life, you build a base of operation for the powers of darkness to attack you. In other words, when you have an ideology that tells you that people are inferior to you because of, fill in the blank, color of their skin, lack of education, where they came from. When you develop a prejudice 
you build a base of operation for the powers of darkness to attack you. So that then everybody that's not like you becomes a place of contention and a place of battle. Am I doing okay? Or if you grow up in church and they tell you things like this. Well, brother, you know God only helps those who help themselves. Really? God only helps those who help themselves. When I was incapable of getting myself out of sin, I couldn't help myself. He helped me. I didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I grabbed hold to the cross and by his grace and mercy, he lifted me out of a pit of despair. I want to tell you something. God helps everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, whether they could ever help themselves or not. But when you believe that lie, the enemy constantly attacks you. Even in the throne room, you're in the throne room praying and you're praying out of a wrong ideology. You're praying out of a thought pattern. I don't deserve this. See, some people were taught this. You know, the bird, this happened when I was growing up. The bird with a broken wing can never fly as high again. So we told everybody, if you ever got a divorce, you can still come to church, you can still tithe, but you'll never be able to lead, you'll never be able to be anybody that God intended you to be because you got a divorce and the bird with the broken wing can never fly as high again. And all of a sudden, we started operating out of that ideology. And Satan built a stronghold. So every time God wanted to tell you, I can wash away all of your failures. And when I restore, it's not just like before, it's better than before. I can make you a better person than before you went through that divorce or before you went through that failure. I can put you back together in ways that nobody will ever tell you were broken. But if you have that ideology, you won't even try to fly because you'll believe a lie. We always talk about the prodigal son. We talk about the boy who left the house and went to rebellion. May I suggest to you that that story is not about a prodigal son. It's about prodigal sons. One was lost in, re, in rebellion. One was lost in religion. That's why every time I preach about righteousness, religious folks get so irritated they want to leave. I was preaching the other night in a church in, a, in another state. I won't even tell you what state it was in, but it's to the west of us. And it's on the ocean. Listen. It's got a lot of crazy people. Listen. I'm talking about righteousness and a man stands up and he gets in a huff and he turns and goes out the door and I think, he don't like me and I like to be liked. And the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, I'm preaching and the Holy Spirit just whispered to me and said, it's not that he don't like you, he don't like me. He don't like me because when I put people back together that he's already prejudged, he don't believe they belong back in Father's house. See, you want to find out who's, who it is that's operating out of a, a, a spiritual son who is in religion rather than in a relationship? Wait till God starts sending prodigals back to the house that everybody thought, why did you leave? And why did you abandon? And why did you waste what you got? And when he gets back to the house, then the religious elder brother will stand up and say, I can't believe you're giving him favor again. I can't believe you're putting a new ring on him. I can't believe you're putting a new set of shoes on him. That guy ought to have to pay some penance. And Jesus said, no way. My son that was lost has now been found. I grew up in a church. Come on, stand with me. I'm done. Get your communion ready. I grew up in a church that taught us that the poorer you were, the holier you were. Because after all, 
People got money, you know, they don't love God. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. I grew up just outside of D.C. I could take you three miles across the Potomac into an area of D.C. that is extremely poor. And I can tell you something. Most of the people there were not holy. Most of the people there, if you left your car long enough, they'd take your hubcaps. And if you has gone long enough, they'd take your whole tires and leave it on cinder blocks. Because being poor doesn't make you holy. But when you buy into that ideology, you live from a place with a poverty mindset. You don't come boldly because you fight with the wrong mindsets. And the enemy beats you up. And every time you desire something, he makes you think, why do you desire that? And you back up, oh, I'm helping somebody. Listen today, you can't fight out of revenge. You say, Bishop, man, I was done wrong. But I just want you to know I forgave him. Listen, to, listen, listen. If you are still asking God to get him, you hadn't forgiven him yet. Because God says true forgiveness means you don't even want me to make them pay. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus on the cross could have said, God, I'm taking these nails, but I thank you that when I get done in three days and rise up, you're going to get these boogers. You're going to whip them. You're going to kick their behind. He didn't say that from the cross. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Don't get, e- don't get even because I can't fight this battle out of revenge. I got to fight this battle out of a pure heart. You can't fight out of bitterness. You have to fight from a position that says, God, I'm coming to the cross. I got nothing to offer. Nothing about me is righteous. But everything about you is righteous. So I choose to believe you. I choose to believe that what you did for me is enough. There's nothing I can add to it. You did it all. Isaiah prophesied that you'll get your bread. Isaiah said there's coming a Messiah. There's coming somebody who's going to give us a better way to God. And he said when he comes... Listen to me. When he comes, he's going to be wounded for your transgressions. Transgressions are where you broke the law. Transgressions are very public. When you broke God's law, somebody knew it. That's why you hope they never tell. But here's what Jesus said. He said, you send out externally, visibly, everybody knows it. He said, so I'm going to take wounds in my hands, my feet, my head, my side. I'm going to let blood flow externally for everything you ever did that was against my law. He'll be wounded for my transgressions. He'll be bruised for my iniquities. The word iniquity means twist. It's the things in you that you have a propensity towards. The enemy doesn't fight you with every sin. He fights you with a constant recurring one. That's why some people in here can walk in a bar and never be tempted. 
And there's other folks that it shows up in your house every week because there's a twist. It's under the skin. When a bruise happens, watch this, blood still flows. It just never flows externally. It stays under the skin. So God said, I'm going to pay the price for all the sins you committed externally. And I'm going to pay the price and let the blood flow for everything that's in you by nature. I'm going to be wounded for your transgressions. I'm going to be bruised for your iniquity. The chastisement of your peace. I'm going to take a beating so you don't have to every day. And with my stripes, you'll be healed. Healed where? Healed in your mind. Healed in your emotions. Healed in your marriage. Healed in your physical body. Healed spiritually. My stripes are going to pay for everything you need that needs to be healed. Paul wasn't there when Jesus died. Paul never saw the cross. But the Bible says that Paul, by revelation, got what it meant. Because, see, Paul was a religious man. Paul said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know what that means? A Pharisee paid tithes on their spices. That means if you went to the grocery store this week and got nutmeg, you'd have brought a tenth of it to the church today. Pharisees never missed a church service. Pharisees walked around with a leather thing attached to the front of their forehead right here that had the Torah, the law on the inside of it, and they wrapped it and tied it around their head so that everywhere they walked, the word would ever be before them. Paul said, that's what I was. And with all of that, I still became a murderer in the name of religion. I was killing people for God until I got a revelation that what he did that night was so that I didn't have to keep trying to perform my religious duties to be acceptable to God. I had to let his broken body and his shed blood pay it all. When I come to this table, I do it in remembrance of what he did that made me righteous and gave me victory. So, Lord, today we take the body of the Lord that was broken. And we recognize it was broken for us. Thank you for it. Pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you today. Thank you today. That your body was broken. That your body was broken. And your blood was spilled. Your blood was spilled. So that I could be saved. So that I could be saved. I could be healed. I could be healed. I could be in a right standing. I could be in a right standing. I could walk in victory. I could walk in victory. Today. Today. I put my faith. I put my faith. In what you did. In what you did. And today, and today, I declare, I declare that what you did, and what you did, is enough. Is enough. I do it. I do it in remembrance of you. In remembrance of Thank you. you for your life. Thank you for your life. Your victory. Your victory. Your power. Your power that operates in me. That operates in, in me. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's partake together the broken body. The Bible says in the same way, he took the cup. Watch this. The body was broken so you could be forgiven, sins paid for. But Jesus said, I'm not just going to pay for your sins and then leave it up to you. I'm going to provide for you a new covenant, a new and a living way. And he said, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign that covenant with my blood. Woo. He said, somebody has to die for an inheritance to be received. See, religion wants to teach us that you can't get your inheritance till you die and go to heaven. But Jesus said, I died so you can get your inheritance now. And I signed for it in my blood. And when you take this blood, you recognize that you are receiving a new and living way into the presence of God. Where there's no condemnation, no shame. God ain't throwing shade at you. He's saying, come boldly. Because the blood has provided a new and living way. Let's partake together. 
If you're grateful for the body and the blood, would you throw your hands in the air and begin to give him thanks? Come on, somebody ought to hear some noise in this building right now. And it reaches to the highest over you today. Listen. The power of the blood and the work of the cross and the resurrection. I break a performance mentality off of people in this room today. I spent so many years of my life trying to earn the pleasure of the Lord. When he showed me one day, you say, Bishop, if you teach this stuff, people are going to go crazy. They're going to sin everywhere. They're going to act crazy. No, here's what I found out. I found out, you know what? I don't commit adultery on my wife because I'm afraid she'll catch me. I'm so in love with her, I don't even think about it. And when I found out how much he loved me, I didn't get further away from him. I got closer to him. So I break that religious performance mentality off of your life and every person that doesn't believe you that that you belong in the throne room, I break an orphan spirit off of you in Jesus' name. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. You are not an orphan. Come boldly into your father's room. I love you, church. If you want the CDs, they're going to be at the guest services. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you. May he shine his grace and favor on you in all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.